0: Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Thursday, November 18th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, will we soon have a new ninth planet? The first human trial for an Alzheimer's nasal vaccine is about to be underway. And Papa John's has changed their name, technically. And AMC Theatres has said, movies? Who? Never heard of her. We're a popcorn company now. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Earlier this month, I got the chance to visit the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, which was overall really freaking cool. They got one of the Saturn V rockets on display, as well as all kinds of cool stuff like a moon rock and that chunk of Skylab that fell into Western Australia and Apollo 12's mobile quarantine facility, which took on a whole new vibe in our present times. But before you even get inside, they've got these plaques for each of the planets in our solar system, starting with Mercury right at the front doors and then proceeding proportionately for how far away the planets are from each other, such that Venus and Earth's plaques are down the main walkway, and then Saturn is off in the middle of the parking lot, and the others were so far away that we couldn't even see them from the front entrance. And you can tell they've been there for a while, too, based on how faded the info sheets on the plaques are, at least a couple decades, probably. So my friend and I got curious how they handled Pluto. Would they have just straight up removed the plaque, or would they have somehow edited it? We trekked out to the complete opposite side of the parking lot, abutting the entrance to Space Camp's dormitories, to finally get to Pluto, who I am happy to report did still have its own plaque. Except there had been one tiny amendment to refer to it as a dwarf planet. No other mention of its fall from grace several years ago. But could we soon be getting a new ninth planet? A replacement for Pluto? Even before Pluto was relegated, the search was on for a then-tenth planet, often referred to as Planet X, like the Roman numeral. You can't get such a cool nickname for the ninth, alas. This would be a planet so far away that its orbit around the sun would take 20,000 Earth years. Astronomer Michael Roan Robinson from the Imperial College London was part of a team looking for that planet back in 1983 using the Infrared Astronomical Satellite, or IRAS, which was the first telescope that surveyed the entire sky. They didn't find anything then, and over the years Roan Robinson became fairly convinced this tenth planet didn't exist at all. But in recent years, talk about Planet 9 has resurfaced, so Roan Robinson thought he'd revisit the IRAS data, saying that spent thousands of hours searching through about 250,000 objects detected by the satellite before finding one object that appeared three times all the way back in 1983. And though he's gone public with his findings in a preprint that has been accepted for a publication by the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, he's hardly convinced himself that it's actually a planet. He wrote in the paper, quote, given the poor quality of the IRAS detections at the very limit of the survey, and in a very difficult part of the sky for infrared detections, the probability of the candidate being real is not overwhelming, end quote. Inverse explains that filamentary clouds glow in infrared wavelengths, so Rowan Robinson has explained his finding could just be a result of noise from that glow. The bigger takeaway he wants people to understand is that this is probably the region of the sky in which we should be looking. But were it to be real, he tells Inverse, it would be a real planet. More real than Pluto, that is. See, Roan Robinson was actually at the meeting of the International Astronomical Union in 2006 that debated whether or not Pluto should remain a planet, and explains how, if we had accepted Pluto as a planet, that would have meant admitting 20 to 30 more planets into our solar system, which, he cops, would have been fun. But with the new criteria that kicked out Pluto and those 20 or 30 others, this potential planet 9 would still make the cut as a full-fledged planet. As Science Alert points out, extrapolating from the data Roan Robinson shared, this particular planet would be between 3 and 5 times the mass of Earth. But let's back up a little to how the search for this ninth or 10th planet started. Quoting Gizmodo, Planet 9, formerly Planet X, has long been considered a possibility. The discovery of Neptune in 1846 came after astronomers found Uranus's orbit was slightly different than math predicted. They realized that something was perturbing Uranus gravitationally. That object turned out to be an eighth planet. Observations of Neptune then led astronomers to believe there may be yet another planet out there messing with the newly discovered world's orbit. Pluto was found in 1930 by looking at objects on photographic plates, but it couldn't account for the movement of Neptune. Scientists who search for Planet 9 estimate that its mass is several times bigger than Earth's, with an orbit lasting thousands of years. Of course, Planet 9 is just one answer to the quandary of why some objects' orbits are wonky. One alternative theory is that instead of Planet 9, it's actually a ring of debris. Others have suggested the planet could be a bowling ball-sized black hole. End quote. And even of the astronomers on board with the idea of Planet Nine, their research differs from Rowan Robinson's findings. Caltech astronomer Mike Brown responded to the preprint on Twitter, saying that Rowan Robinson's finding is totally different from what his team has been working on, which includes mathematical modeling and simulations to trace an elongated orbit in the far reaches of the outer solar system. But it could still be real, Brown said enthusiastically. So while the hunt continues, Gizmodo points out that we may have more concrete answers in the coming years, thanks to advances in AI and the upcoming Vera Rubin Observatory, which will image the entire sky once a week. But if and when we find a real ninth planet, let's never forget Pluto and its brief age of glory. The good vaccine news just keeps on coming. It was just announced on Tuesday that the first human trial of a nasal vaccine for Alzheimer's will begin at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston next month. The phase one trial, which is the next step in nearly 20 years of research, will include 16 participants with early symptomatic Alzheimer's. They'll each receive two doses of the vaccine one week apart. Quoting CBS News, The vaccine uses a substance called protolin, which stimulates the immune system. Protolin is designed to activate white blood cells found in the lymph nodes on the sides and back of the neck to migrate to the brain and trigger clearance of beta amyloid plaques, one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease, the hospital explains. It notes that protolin has been found to be safe in other vaccines, end quote. And Dr. Howard Weiner, who has led the research, said in a press release from the hospital, quote, If clinical trials in humans show that the vaccine is safe and effective, This could represent a non-toxic treatment for people with Alzheimer's, and it could also be given early to help prevent Alzheimer's in people at risk. The immune system plays a very important role in all neurologic diseases, and it's exciting that after 20 years of preclinical work, we can finally take a key step forward toward clinical translation and conduct this landmark first human trial. End quote. And while this is very exciting news, the estimated six million Americans living with Alzheimer's and their families are likely holding their breath. There have been so many experimental treatments over the years that haven't worked out. And when the first new drug in 20 years was approved over the summer, a monoclonal antibody, many independent advisors spoke up against it, saying it was not as effective as it claimed to be and had serious side effects. The healthcare provider that the Brigham and Women's Hospital belongs to has opted against offering the drug. The Boston Globe also notes that experts disagree on whether beta amyloid plaques are connected to the cognitive decline of Alzheimer's patients at all. Still, if this first step of phase one goes well, the vaccine will enter more trials with larger samples of participants to determine efficacy and safety. As Weiner said, quote, Many of the other drugs work by giving an antibody. They infuse it into the bloodstream to go into the brain. This vaccine is exciting because it uses the body's own immune system to fight the disease. End quote. Cautious optimism, I think, would be the appropriate response here. Fingers crossed. So pizza giant Papa John's has apparently changed their name and logo. But if you blink, you'll miss it. There are some small visual changes to the logo. The green frame around the company name is gone, as is the slightly confusing pizza text that appeared above the name before. Is the name Pizza Papa John's or Papa John's Pizza? CNN notes that these changes are in line with more minimalist design upgrades from other fast food chains in recent years, like McDonald's and Burger King. But the big news, and the easiest to miss, is that they've removed the apostrophe from their name. It's no longer possessive, as in Papa J-O-H-N apostrophe S, now it's just Papa John's, like multiple Papa Johnses, or one person whose name is John's. While the company's chief commercial officer, Mac Wetzel, denied that the change was in order to distance themselves from the disgraced and increasingly unhinged founder, John Schnatner, everyone seems to be making that assumption. I mean, why wouldn't they want to distance themselves from a guy who dropped the N-word on a conference call while denying he was a racist after criticizing football players who took a knee during the anthem and whose faux apology tour has included accusing Colonel Sanders of being the true racist, showing off his excessive wealth on TikTok, and bragging about eating 800 pizzas in 18 months? no one would blame the company for wanting a little distance. As the takeout notes, the company is keeping their slogan, better ingredients, better pizza, but quote, a better slogan would be, John doesn't work here anymore, end quote. In other junk food news, AMC Theaters is going to start selling their popcorn outside of its movie theaters. As AV Club phrased it, quote, in case this whole theater thing doesn't pan out, end quote, which is You know, pretty accurate. The major movie theater chains are throwing everything at the red curtain wall to try to survive the big pandemic slump. And with the half-truth that they make most of their money at the concession stand anyways, why not try selling it elsewhere? According to Variety, AMC theaters will be selling their popcorn at shopping malls across the U.S., Quoting AV Club, "...nice to see one horrifically mauled industry trying to prop up another there." End quote. And shortly thereafter, start partnering with Home Delivery Services so you can Postmates some overly buttered movie theater popcorn straight to your door. There are also plans to make microwavable versions of their popcorn, which they'll sell in grocery stores, and which I kind of thought was already a thing. Like, I could have sworn I'd seen boxes of microwavable popcorn from AMC or Regal at the grocery store in the past. Maybe it's just the Mandela effect. In any case, the shopping mall versions of their new popcorn business will come in the form of stores and kiosks called AMC Theaters Perfectly Popcorn. They'll start with five locations at malls that don't already have an AMC movie theater and will include more than just popcorn and, quote, gourmet-flavored popcorn popped on site, end quote. There will also be Coke Freestyle machines, candy, and other concession stand mainstays. Quoting Variety... The global popcorn market is a multi-billion-dollar industry, one that experts expect to grow significantly in the coming years. It's estimated to reach $6.24 billion by 2028, according to a report conducted by Million Insights. AMC says the company's expansion into the sale of popcorn on a retail basis outside of theaters is a natural extension of AMC's core business. The announcement that AMC will become a competitor in the multi-billion dollar popcorn market is so natural and logical, one wonders why the idea has not been tried before, Adam Aaron, AMC's CEO and chairman of the board, said in a statement. Needless to say, AMC knows popcorn ever so well. On our busiest days, AMC Theatres currently pops in the range of 50 tons of popcorn per day. But the popularity of popcorn extends well beyond the doors of our movie theaters. With this new AMC initiative, we expect to reach entirely new segments of the U.S. population with our popular AMC Theatres Perfectly Popcorn. End quote. And for anyone thinking this is a totally pointless pivot, I've got at least two friends who have literally gone to the movie theater to buy concession stand snacks without seeing a movie, and they were both stoked when I shared this news with them. I think AMC knows exactly what they're doing, as weird as this sounds. And AV Club summed it up all pretty well, quote, This is one of those ideas that falls somewhere at the intersection of hilarious, sad, and totally brilliant. Certainly, there were times over the last few years where we were about to start streaming some film that should by all rights have been in theaters, and the craving for that slightly stale, totally decadent, bright yellow industrial popcorn started seeping deep into our bones. At the same time, there's something very funny about the world's biggest movie chain looking around at the burning wreckage of its once great empire, shrugging its shoulders, and starting the popcorn machine popping. So it goes. End quote. So here's something that I missed at the end of October. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission announced that businesses have to offer cancellation mechanisms that are at least as easy to perform as the mechanisms to sign up in the first place. So basically, this means if you clicked a couple of buttons to subscribe to something, you have to be able to do the same to cancel it. The company can't force you to call them to cancel. This has actually been the case in California for nearly three years, but now the FTC will be enforcing it nationwide. Neiman Lab points out that news outlets tend to be the worst offenders here, and even the New York Times dragged its feet on implementing click-to-cancel options after the FTC's announcement. And while this is definitely a good move that will save a lot of consumers a lot of grief, I gotta say, sometimes sometimes when you spoke to an actual human to cancel or even just did a live chat, they'd offer you a pretty good deal to stay. That's how I've been paying just a dollar a week for the New York Times for the past year. But Kieran Culkin did not get such a good deal in a recent Saturday Night Live sketch when his character tried to cancel his cable and internet package. Link to that infuriating but kind of funny sketch in the show notes. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media,